It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's to the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff, and it's the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. It's time for part two of our in-depth look at the film of the Jets' 2020 draft class with a man who always joins us to do X and O quick hits. He's the host of Blewett's Blitz over at JetsXFactor.com, Mr. Joe Blewett. So, Joe, yesterday during part one, we talked about everything up through the first two picks in the fourth round. Last pick in the fourth round is one that a lot of people were giddy about. Cam Clark from UNC Charlotte started to pick up some steam in the lead up to the draft as people discovered the tape that he put out against Clemson where he was incredibly impressive. And so people dove into that. But obviously most people haven't sat down and watched a ton of his tape from UNC Charlotte because it's UNC Charlotte. You did, however, because the Jets drafted him. So I was curious, do you think that the rest of his tape lives up to what people are hoping for from him as they envision him standing next to Makai Becton for the next 10 to 15 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now now this is where we go to the positive. Um, definitely high on Becton, definitely high on Mims. And we just talked about Zuniga and all those other guys who get like, okay, B, C-plus type picks, I get it. Um, I really like Clark. I, I really hope that he ends up being the long-term left guard um, next to next to Beckton because they have both really nasty mindsets. And I would say that Clark even takes a step above Beckton where he finishes every single play um, as hard as he possibly can, where Beckton does as well, um, but not to the same extent where, where Clark likes to block in guys' faces and, and just try to absolutely destroy them when he's able to. So I, I really like his, his mindset. Um, solid size, you know, six six five, three oh nine. He, he, they're probably gonna want him to gain a, maybe a little bit more weight to play inside. Um, solid arm length, especially if he's gonna play guard at thirty four inch arms. Like I said, nasty guy. Um, I like his I like his technique more than I thought I would for for a later round guy. Strong hands. I think he plays with with good leverage. I think for his size, he has good power. Um, decent foot speed, considering the move to to guard. I I think. If he worked to stay at tackle, which I really don't think he, he would, um, his feet are not good enough for tackle. He, he labors to get back on guys, um, you know, outside linebackers versus like Gardner, Webb, and, and teams he was, he, he was playing. So he doesn't have the foot speed to play tackle. There's no way. But for guard, I think it's, I think it's good enough. He has uh, grip strength, um, active eyes. His hand placement's good. I, I think his footwork is relatively good. Um, I, I don't know if I already mentioned hand placement, but I really, really like that part about him. That's the, probably the most impressive part about his technique is he really knows how to attack guys with his hands and, and move guys through the hips where a lot of guys, even like Beckton, when they're trying to create movement, um, might hit a guy too high, might hit him in the shoulder pads where Clark really knows how to effectively attack the, the center point of the body and where you want to attack to create movement, which is 
um, well, in certain situations, is the is the hip, and he and he correctly places his hand uh, hands there. He knows if he's getting beat to wrench a guy, wrenching a guy is basically okay. If you're the left guard and the guy is beating you to the interior gap, you're gonna take, you're gonna place your left hand onto the into the small of the back, um, and your right hand onto his chest, and you're gonna you're gonna push with your left hand as or you're gonna push with your left hand as you push with your right hand. You're creating forces in two opposite directions. It throws off your center of mass and makes guys off balance. He does that, which I which I like. He redirects force. Um, well, where a guy like even Beckton struggles with that, where if a guy is, you know, if you're getting bull rushed back, which is which is push versus push, you want to deflect force, you want to go head on with it, so he knows to instead of push back, he'll lift. You you want to lift a push force, you don't want to necessarily push back against it, which you can at times, but um, if you are initially getting beaten, hopping back in your anchor, it's not it's gonna be hard to generate power through that. So he does that well. Um, I've seen reps of him throwing fake punches. Um, there's definitely positives there. His anchor is good. Uh, now there's a reason, you know, he's a fourth round pick. And I could have seen if the Jets picked him in the third round, I watched this film, I wouldn't be that mad. And like you said, a lot of people started noticing him and all the highlights you see on Twitter was him against Clemson, which is fantastic because you see small school guys. And what do people say about small school guys? Okay. Well, they produce for small school guys. What happens when they take a step up to the next level? Uh, Clark had one chance to play a really big school this year and he played better than he did in any other game and looked like the best player on either offense or defense that game, just go watch that whole game. Like, don't go watch the highlights, watch the 10 minute cut up of his snaps. He was an absolute monster in that game. Um, and it wasn't fluke plays. So, uh, that's a huge positive for me to see that he stepped up versus their competition because it just makes me seem like he wants it. And it's not going to, it's not going to be too much of a step up to like, it's going to be separate from the NFL, but I'm talking about mentally. Um, I think he'll be, he'll be ready for it because he seems like that type of dude. Um, now the weaknesses. And the reason why he's moving to guard um, over tackle, in my opinion, like 100 um, percent, the lateral quickness. You know, you, you see reps of him playing high in pass protection because he's laboring to get to the outside. So he's not able to maintain um, a good balanced base because he's like I said, he's, he's panicking to get to the outside. Not panicking necessarily, but he's laboring to get to the outside because he doesn't have that natural smoothness, that natural foot speed um, like Beckton to yard. Now that transition to guard is a weakness because he's never played it. So you have to consider that it's in a completely different position. It's not, okay, this movement inside is the same thing. It's a completely different thing. Um, and now instead of playing guys that are 240 pounds at guard and a web outside linebackers, you're going to be going up against name a defensive tackle, uh, you know, Dexter Lawrence or whoever, you know, um, Poe or whatever, you know, the guys who are 310 to 350 pounds in the interior. So that's going to be a transition. Um, there's times where he opens his gate too early in pass pro. Uh, I don't necessarily want him to be moving in space a ton. I think he has decent athleticism, but I don't want him to be the puller consistently and having to be working at the second level, third level on screens because he's a decent athlete, but he's not a, he's not a great athlete. You see him be a little bit top heavy. Um, you can see his feet stall in space. So like, there's definitely technical things he needs to work on, mostly with him working in space. Um, but in terms of a guy who you get in the fourth round, uh, with the transition to guard, which I think will work out well. Uh, I'm definitely high in the pick, um, obviously considering when this goes for all rookies in the NFL right now, considering they didn't have a rookie minicamp, considering they might, there might be two less preseason games, considering there might not even be a full season or season at all. His transition is not going to be as easy as it is in every other year for, for rookies. But in terms of his future, I'm pretty high on him in terms of being a long-term um, starting guard for the Jets. So this, this pick gets uh, definitely like an A for me because I, I really do like the player for sure. What do you think about the possibility of him and Becton standing next to each other for the next 10 to 15 years? Does it get you as excited as it's gotten so many other people, including myself? 
Yeah, man. You you know I'm a nerd for the film, so watching that stuff necessarily would be would be really really fun for me. Um, like I said, the Beckton's nastier, Clark's much more nasty. Like I have so many plays of him just driving guys long after play, trying to bury them. Um, it just it's so fun to watch. You know that that guy, and then you pair him with Beckton. And those guys moving a guy in a combo block, like, like the guy is going to die. Like whoever it is, I don't, it's going to be crazy because they can create movement. They have that aggressive mindset and putting them together and having them feed off of each other. Guys who are bo- both working with Man- uh, Duke Mannyweather, um, which is a positive that Clark's working with him as well. And now they're building that, co- that, that co- uh, co- cohesiveness, which is really, really important for an offensive lineman. So um, to have those guys necessarily one, they're friends, two, they're working together. Um, and three, they're both physical, nasty guys. Uh, I think the Jets would be running to the left side a, a lot in the future. And then even, you know, like we talked about before we started recording, Scott, like the, the, if you if you have those two guys and they work out, now you ha- now you have them. You have McGovern in the middle, and now it's really the it, you know let's say he is left guard. Now the right side is the question. You know, do you do you get a guard next year? Um, do you have to get a right tackle, or does Stanford or Dogo work out to be a, even a below average to an okay starter? Maybe they ride out with them you get another guard next year. Like, so if they, if those guys work out next to each other, um, it, it's going to be huge for the, for the offensive line. I, I think that's where they will keep. Um, Clark would be the left side just because that he was working from the left side as a left tackle. So I think it's an easier transition from left tackle to left guard than it would be from left tackle to right guard because now your stance changes. Uh, changes. And, you know, if you're left tackle, left guard, you know, you're obviously depending on the defensive front. Um, but typically you're still going to be going back. Your, your post foot still going to be the right foot instead of the left side where your post foot's your left foot. So I think to make it an easier transition, like I said, for him to stay on the left side, but um, obviously we'll see what the Jets want to do. But, yeah, watching them together would be – it would be fantastic. I, I really – I'll probably enjoy it too much. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Finally, we get to the fifth round before, of course, we get to an undrafted free agent that we're going to talk about. And in the fifth round, the Jets got somebody that many believe to be one of the big steals of the draft. That, of course, Bryce Hall, the cornerback from the University of Virginia. Joe, let's talk a little bit about Mr. Hall. When I watched him, I didn't see an elite athlete, but I saw somebody that had excellent cover skills and really more to the point, tremendous instincts, which is very important to me when I'm looking at a player because (laughs) as much as you want that raw athletic ability – Some things just can't be taught in terms of great instincts. You can try and shape a guy as a player, but when it comes to knowing what to do when, sometimes that's just an innate ability. And we've talked about that with Jamal Adams many, many times. Sure, he's absolutely gifted athletically, but the fact that he has these incredible instincts is a big part of what makes him so good. With Bryce Hall, you look at a player like that, and we know what the downside is because of the injury. So that's why he dropped. And of course, nobody could really get a proper look at him because of the fact that we have coronavirus going on so guys weren't able to come in for physicals and so on and so forth but when you look at what he did on tape for the University of Virginia cornerback I was very impressed and I think it's very clear why he probably would have been a first or second round pick last year if he had come out and why he likely would have been a second round pick this year if he hadn't hurt himself. I think a lot of Jets fans would have been fine with him a round or two earlier he gets there in the fifth What do you think? Are you as excited about this one as I am? And what do you see for him as a potential starting cornerback in the NFL? Do you think he can be that guy for the Jets? Perhaps a solid, even number two corner. Yeah, so again, we started off kind of meh, and now we're ending really, really positively. Really like the Clark pick. uh, Really, really like the Hall pick. And I I legitimately believe that if he was healthy, he could have been a late first-rounder. You know, there's guys like David Arnett, in the first round of the Raiders took that I would take Hall over based on what I've seen from both guys. Um, so even if not the first, at least in the second. So I, I think you're getting a guy with the first or second round talent um, because of those injuries. And, I, I, you know, think, thankfully it's not the early 2000s where a guy tears the ACL or whatever and the guy's pretty much done where, you know, uh, something that this, this is another episode where DB, I brought in Marcus Coleman, um, obviously him playing a different level than I did, you know, high school versus, uh, versus the NFL, but we both torn – um, muscles. I, I've, I've torn my labrum and my groin, and he's, I think he tore his shoulder as well, and we talked about it, um, which also Bryce Hall did in his leg. I think he tore his, his like an MCL and ACL, and he broke his knee, whatever. So it's a huge injury because that's that's one of those injuries where like, you'd rather have a broken bone than something torn because a to- something you tear, you can treat it, but it always flares up a little bit. And obviously, Hall, you've done episodes with whoever you did it with that said that he's basically a workout warrior guy who's really smart, a really good guy. So I think he's the type of guy to consistently, you know, warm up um, his leg and stretch out his, his leg like he needs to, where if you just operate on a, on a cold muscle when it's torn like that, it might rip it a little bit more. You really want to loosen it up. So I think he's a guy who will um, attend to his injury as needed. So it becomes a slight less concern because I know Hall will address it the way he needs to address it. 
but that is concerning for sure. It, you know, you're, like I said, you're, you're carrying multiple muscles and breaking your knee. Um, I think that's the, I'm not sure that the, that's the exact injury, but I believe that's what happened. Um, that's a concern. But in terms of what he did on the field, uh, both myself and Marcus were really, really high on him. Uh, to get him in the fifth round, I, I think is absolutely fantastic. And like you said, and we'll talk, I'm going to talk about some of the strengths and weaknesses, because of his limited athleticism, he might not be a guy you necessarily want to play on a Julio Jones or an AJ Green or, or you know, one of those guys who is both physical and, and really, really fast at the same time. You might not want to play him on those guys and you might not be able to. Um, but in terms of him being like a, a really solid number two, which is really important, I think he could be that. And, and honestly, I might be, that might be selling him a little bit short though, because if you look at guys like Richard Sherman, you know, uh, he's not a, he's not a blazer. He's limited athletically, but he's still a really good player because he's smart. Um, and to a lesser extent, you know, you were talking about the technique and the innate ability, the know-how, all that stuff. Look at Revis. Revis was never a fantastic athlete. He was just a really technically sound, physical, hungry guy. So you could be a good corner, not necessarily be the, the best athlete. So maybe I'm saying a little bit short there. Um, but he has the he has the size you want for sure. Um, I believe he's at six six one, a little bit over two hundred pounds, which is definitely a good size for a corner. I know it's thirty two plus inch arms. I'm not sure if it's one one fourth, one third, whatever it is. But I know he's thirty two plus inch arms, which is great. Um, high effort. Like, like I talked about before, praise for his leadership, which is a, which is a positive thing. Um, if anything, <laughs> the Jets are trying to rebuild this culture. They need guys who are high effort, um, high leadership, high character type guys, which we might have thought one DB we had is, but maybe he's not. Uh, definitely not, at least it seems right now. Um, so he has those abilities. He has good recognition in, recognition in the zone. He's a smart player. He recognizes the route concepts. Uh, there's a couple times at Virginia where he – I would see him uh, be following a route concept and see another one behind him where they're trying to distract him and then him break on the ball and, and get an interception, which like, it's hard to explain over, over me just talking, but he has his recognition skills. Um, his eyes are low in, in press coverage, which you don't want your, your eyes uh, to be too high because a lot of head fakes will, will fake guys out. The hips don't lie, as people say, um, with, with coverage. So he follows those hips. Um, he has, even though he's limited in a straight line speed and his, in his overall speed, I think his bursts um, out of his T-step um, or quarter step are, are both good. I think for his size, he's a, de- he's a decent athlete with his, with his mobility and his hips. Um, he's never going to be like Patrick Peterson in that sense, but still um, decent enough. He's patient in press. Uh, he crowds around breaks. He, he will hold his line. Um, he will stack guys. He knows when to play. Um, in trail, like he's a smart player, he wins 50 50 balls. He made some ridiculous interceptions. There was one, there was one interception again, forget who it was against, but it was one of the most ridiculous one handed catches I've seen. That's a good thing from the corner, and he played it really, really well. I feel exactly what the play was, to be honest, Scott. It was, like, it was like a month ago, two months ago that I did it. I just remember that he was squeezing it out to the sideline. The guy got a little bit behind him, and he transitioned his, I think it was his right, yeah, it was, no. I think it was his right hand to his left hand. So when you're when you're squeezing a guy and you're looking back to the ball, you don't ever want to lose contact. You lose contact. You're losing your sense, one of your senses on that that doesn't allow you to play the guy as well as you should. And it was a really subtle hand switch. We went from his right hand to his left hand to still feel where the receiver was while looking at the ball. Something that not a lot of people noticed, but I, it was beautiful. And then he and then he like cocks his left arm back for the ball and makes one of the most ridiculous interceptions I've seen. So technically good. 
um, in most senses, uh, plays over his toes. Like there's a lot of positives I like from him and technically how smart he is and arm barring guys um, in terms of when they're going to catch the ball um, where they can't raise up past his elbows. Like he, he definitely has some technical things that are, that are positives. Um, but now the, the negatives and there are some technical negatives I think, I think he looks back to the quarterback too early where double moves and things like that. He might get thrown off a little bit or not, maybe not on double moves, but he'll be thrown off a little bit if the guy flattens out the route, whatever it may be, because he's looking back to the quarterback too early where you, there are certain instances, but most instances you don't want to look back to the quarterback before you have contact with the wide receiver, except when you lose the wide receiver. So he does that. Um, there's times where he comes into tackles a little bit uncontrolled. Um, there are some technical things I want him to fix in terms of his coverage where pre-snap, I want him to either play in press or play in off, but he uh, too often he plays in what I like to call and what, what Marcus likes to call uh, no man's land where he's he's two to four yards off. So he's not close enough to get hands on and he's also not far enough away where you can take those read steps, which is what off coverage is, is really that's the biggest benefit. Um, you know, minus the other situations, that's the primary benefit. Um, so there are those those things. And off coverage, you can see him open early instead of weaving and, and staying square. Like, uh, there's some interceptions he dropped that he should know. His lateral quickness is is lacking in some in some instances. But overall, um, for the player you're getting um, in the fifth round, uh, I'm extremely excited. Again, I think he'd be a really solid number two. I think he can even be a number one. I don't want to sell him too short, but his athleticism, um, he's working behind the eight ball a little bit with that. But that's more long speed and like lateral quickness. But he has some fluidity. He has you know bursts from. Um, like I said, his, his back pedal. So there are definitely some positives with his athleticism. So don't just say, I'm, you know, don't just take it as I'm saying he's terrible. But uh, I'm be interested to see how the Jets use him. Um, I think he's like I think he, if, in my perfect world, he's a he's either a press guy and man. I don't want to see him playing too much off man or a cover three guy. Um, a lot of people just think, okay, you know, he's not a good corner um, in terms of his, his athleticism playing in cover two. But cover two, even though you're not asked to play deep you have to play that short area of the field and you have to have really, really good bursts to play in, in, in cover two. Um, if you're trying to get underneath, let's say the slot receiver on a smash concept and then the quarterback loads up to throw a hitch and then you get, you, you, you close on that 10 ground or, t- or 10 yards to, to get to that hitch. Like you need to be a really good athlete playing two. So I think that's a common misconception about cover two. Just because you're playing in a short or in a shallow zone and that, and that, that as that cloud corner, as they call it, um, you don't need to be a great athlete. I think that's a misconception. I think cover three fits him a little bit better, um, where he could play off and use his physicality to stay over top of guys, um, instead of like playing like a press cover three, where he might have to match guys a little bit uh, closer to the line of scrimmage. So I, I think he's a cover three off guy or a, a man coverage guy. Zone uh, cover two could he play it? Um, yes, but I don't think he's the best fit in a cover two type role unless. Unless you're really going to try to just press the crap out of the line of scrimmage, but um, again, rambling, he is a fantastic fifth round pick, and I couldn't really be happier with anybody at that time. I, I thought he was going to be a third round guy because of the injury, um, and again, if he wasn't injured, he could have easily been, I think, a late first, early second type guy. So I think fans have to be probably the most excited about this pick. You know, you might be more excited by Mims and things like that. But I think for the value you got in the fifth round, I think this is the best pick that the Jets made.
It's funny you mention Revis because if you read Collision Low Crossers, Revis talks all about how Cromartie had much better physical gifts. He was a better athlete. He was mm-hmm. taller. He was leaner. All of that. But Cromartie obviously didn't have the same overall work ethic. And on top of that, more importantly, instincts and know-how to play that position the way that Revis did. Didn't have the technique either. So that's really what separated the two of them. Even though Cromartie, when you look at him on paper and you just watch him as an athlete, you're like, this guy was built to play the cornerback position. But sometimes it's not quite that simple. And it's not as simple for a guy like Bryce Huff, who probably would have gotten drafted If we hadn't had everything going on that's going on right now, some people thought that he could be a mid to late round pick, a pass rusher out of Memphis. Didn't happen for him. Instead, the Jets get him as an undrafted free agent. A lot of optimism around him, Joe, I think for two reasons. Number one, people always love the idea of an uncovered gem. So if you get a guy like, say, Robbie Anderson, who was undrafted and he turns into something, it makes you feel like the team got a real find. The other thing here is that the Jets are so barren at outside pass rusher with only Jordan Jenkins and Jabari Sinigo, who they just drafted. They've got really very little at that position. So the idea that maybe this guy could come in and do something has people really excited. What do you think? You watched his film. Do you think that, A, he can make the team, and B, that he can make any kind of real impact? Yeah, and and this is... And like you said, a mid to late round guy. Honestly, if just based on the other guys who were drafted, if he was drafted in the fourth round, I wouldn't I wouldn't have batted an eye. I, I think that he could have been drafted there, fifth, sixth round. Um, I think it's possible for sure. And I think what hurt it, what hurt him, um, I, I don't know. Was he invited to the combine? There's something where it hurt him. I think with the with that was combine related. Um, so he wasn't picked as high. Now, regardless, watching what he did um, on tape. Um, I like the player and I'm not just hyping up any undrafted guy because listen, like guys that people like, like Lamar Jackson or Cager or George Campbell or whoever people are talking about, I think are probably not going to make a team. Maybe they make a practice squad, but just like last year, I'm not sure if you brought me on for, for Greg Dortch. Everybody was super high on Greg Dortch. I crapped all over his film and then he got cut from the team because not every undrafted guy is going to make the team. Um, most of them aren't likely to, but. Just kind of have like a tendency to actually hit, find some gems. Even like Kyle Phillips, a couple of years, you know, or last year, or whatever. Um, Dan Harrison, Robbie Anderson, like they they have a tendency to hit on some guys. Obviously, different GMs in each scenario, but still. Um, and Huff, I think, is going to be one of those guys. Now, um, maybe not Dan Harrison, maybe not Robbie Anderson, um, but even like the, maybe like a Kyle Phillips type guy, where he comes in, and makes an impact, is, is a guy who has you know solid depth in the roster and, and, make, and, and can make some plays. Uh, they're different players um, in terms of what they do. Um, Huff is a guy who um, athletically is really good, you know, 6'3", 255. I think he's a really well-built frame, really thick uh, trunk to his body, a lot of power in that lower body as well. Um, you do worry about the length in his arms, 31 and, and uh, 3 fourth inch arms is not long enough. We always talk about like the five things you need to be a pass rusher. Length is one of them, um, and he does not have that. So that is a concern. Now, can people beat that? Yes, Terrell Suggs have done, has done it. Uh, Melvin Ingram has done it. Um, but he's not it, – it, it, it puts you behind the eight ball um, when you have to work from behind like that. Um, so you have to worry about that. But his athletic, athleticism, again, this is a guy who – the athleticism's there. The technical work needs – it needs to be there uh, or needs to grow. Um, the burst off the line, the bend, the, the top-end speed – 
um, are all there for, for sure. I think his ability for speed to power is definitely there where he could set up guys and then, like I said, activate that, that, that trunk of his body and, and burst through guys if he can get into their chest because he's making them open up their frame um, to him. So I think he could do um, those things, high effort. Uh, he has a tight spin move when he throws it. Um, he has the ability to use the pass rush move, which Aaron Donald does a lot, um, where he kind of jumps into a swipe rip. Uh, he does that, where he and it happens too frequently, which is one of his weaknesses. Where he, on his third step, frequently he'll stab inside, get the guy to freeze his feet a little bit, and then and then take a huge step with his with his also that third step into the fourth step to, to pass the guy um, kind of laterally up the arc or whatever. Um, and then throw that rip and bend. So he does it really, really well. Uh, he needs more accuracy in his hands, to be honest, when he is doing it. But overall, that's his favorite move. But he needs to diversify his skill set when it comes to that. But uh, continue on the, the strength that I saw, uh, the twitchy stop start I really like. Uh, I think he has the ability to drop into a, to a shallow zone um, because of his athleticism and because of the fluidity. Um, the lateral quickness, the short air explosion is all there. So, again, a Tracy type guy. So, do I think he makes a huge impact year one? Um, not necessarily. Um, could he, though? Maybe. It, I, I don't think he's going to be a guy, at least in year one or early into his career, who's going, going to be you know, stopping the run and setting the edge and things like that. Uh, he's going to be more of a guy who's you know, third and long, second and long, pass rush type specialist, where maybe you, know, you take out a guy like a Kyle Phillips or a Shepard or Fado Kassi, um, you, you put in Zuniga in the interior gap, and then you, then you rush – cost him like a wide nine or a seven or, or you know, a loose five, whatever it is. So I think he's going to pass rush specialist his first year. But if I had to bet, I, I do think he makes the team. Um, but he needs to, to improve in the run game. I think he's a little bit slower processor there. Uh, he needs to use his hands more. He needs to play with better leverage. Um, he needs to just have a better overall feel for, for run concepts. The short arms worry about or worry you in the run game because uh, you want to be able to stack and shed guys. Um, you want to see more power in the hands. I, I think he's a powerful player, but I don't think he fully activates his hands where he kind of lays his hands into guys into really having a strong punch. Um, and that applies to both the pass, um, and the, and the run game. Um, so, and he, like I said before, he needs to diversify his skill set with pass rushing where he relies on the same way too often. And in the NFL, you have, you have, you know, pro guys who are looking at your film, you have the, you have the, and who are uh, relaying that to, uh, to the players or the players who are watching films. So basically you use the same move all the time. It's going to get shut down and I dare you to, to, to win in another way. But the positive thing is he has the speed to power ability. He has the inside spin move. I think uh, he definitely needs to use a cross shot more. I think that's something that would definitely benefit him, but I didn't see it really at all on film. So um, Tracy type guy who I think will be a third down rush type specialist guy in, in his first year, maybe develops into more. But at the same time, if that's all he is, and you have an undrafted guy, and he gets you five, you know, five, six sacks a year, and only and only plays in rushing situations. I, I would be ecstatic with that pickup. So um, I definitely really like Huffman. I'm not really necessarily exactly sure why he wasn't drafted in maybe like the, the, the fifth or sixth round. It's, it's surprising to get this guy, but um, I'm definitely happy with it. I say this every single time we talk about undrafted free agents. The bottom line is, if they make the roster, that's a win. If they contribute at all, mm-hmm. that's a double win. And if they contribute at the level that you're talking about with Bryce Huff, that is a triple win. So let's keep our fingers crossed that he's able to become that type of player. Joe Blewett, the host of Blewett's Blitz, 
over at JetsXFactor.com. As always, thanks so much for coming on and breaking down the film with me. Really appreciate it. What do you got going on over at JetsXFactor.com? I know it's super busy. In fact, before we started recording, you told me you were working on some more film shows. So what do you got over there? Uh, yeah, I'm doing Huff next, actually. So so good time to knit it right for Huff. I'm doing Huff. I got about 26 plays of him. Um, and then I'm going to tap back into the free agents. Um, obviously, if you want to find Beckton and Mims and all those other guys, McGovern, like all the bigger type guys, they're all available in the archives. Um, but now it's the undrafted guys, and I have Seer left. I have Fant left, Ben Roten left. So I have some of the some of the guys that people should want to know about left. And then after that, uh, I'm going to do like the top 25 show, the ranking of the roster, so like more, some more fun shows um, for some people. So a ton of stuff coming. Um, the good thing about being a film type show is you, you never have time to get it all done but in a slow time like this there's always more shows to put out and more content to put out so um the content's never going to stop for me because it wouldn't stop until i got all 53 guys done on the roster so um there's there's plenty more coming until the season uh now with saying that hopefully there is a season because if there's not a season i might struggle to get to the next draft so i'll have more content um but but we'll see let's just pray for the season and like I said, check, check out JetX Factor and uh, Blue Splits on YouTube or the podcast app. Make sure that you check out what Joe's doing over at JetsXFactor.com. All of the film breakdowns are there in their entirety. And also, you can get my new history series. If you haven't checked it out yet, I'm doing it in parts. Long-form pieces telling the story of the 2008 season with the help of Kerry Rhodes, who was there for the whole thing. And then at the end, going to put together an audio documentary of details on that as soon as it's ready. But it's going to be really cool. And I hope that when it comes out that you'll support it. And obviously that you'll support JetsXFactor.com because you've got something really cool going on over there with Joe, with Michael Nanny, with Robbie Sabo. It is an outstanding site. And if you're somebody that loves Jets coverage, granted... You've got Joe Blewett, who doesn't sleep. You've got Michael Nania, who doesn't sleep. They're tirelessly on the case 24-7. That may be a little too intense for you, but if you love the Jets like we all do, there's no such thing as too intense as far as Jets coverage goes. So go over to JetsXFactor.com and check it out. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, that would be great. Really appreciate it. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. doesn't take you much time. doesn't cost you any money. But it really helps us out a lot. So if you could do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.